we have never had this conversation about how you brought us to England, to the UK, about about being a refugee mm -hmm. and what that's like for you and what what it took. So I I I just want to hear your story. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm Nella for Hidayat, and for the last 12 years, I've been making documentaries looking into the stories of people who've been through intense and life-changing situations. From the Arab Spring to child trafficking, I've helped a lot of people tell their stories. But now, for the first time, I want to share mine. This is Course Correction, a project of the Doha Debates. The Doha Debates explore some of humanity's toughest challenges by bringing people together, one urgent issue at a time. This show, Course Correction, helps you understand these giant world issues through my eyes. A journalist, a 30-something millennial woman of colour, and a Muslim. Way too often, I've seen and read stories by my fellow colleagues, other journalists, that leave out the people impacted the most. People sometimes just like me. That's what got me into journalism in the first place. I got tired of being talked about. In this episode, I want to talk about refugees. Because the global refugee crisis is one of those issues that feels too big. It's hard to break through and make people care. I've dealt with that as a reporter covering the crisis, from the vast camps of Thessaloniki in Greece and the Baca Valley in Lebanon to El Salvador in Central America, talking to smugglers, asylum seekers and locals alike. And because it's incredibly personal to me, because I'm a refugee. My mum smuggled me and my sister out of war-torn Afghanistan 25 years ago when I was about seven. We were illegal immigrants trafficked into London. So today, I want to talk about what I really wish you non-refugees knew about our experience. I'm going to introduce you to another refugee, like me, my friend Gulwali Pasarli, who fled Afghanistan at 12 years old. But first, I need to look at my own journey from refugee to British citizen because, and here's the thing, I've never openly talked about it with anyone in my family. Whenever I've tried to ask my mum, I'd see the sadness seep into her eyes and her lips pursed shut. So eventually, I stopped asking. But now, it's time. My need to know how I got here has got the better of my fear of asking. So I'm going to start, and what better place than with the woman who did all this? My mum is a tiny, round little thing. Like most South Asian mums, she insists on bringing me food whenever she comes to visit me in my house. I'm 31. My mum's a teaching assistant at a local school, helping refugee kids adjust and learn English. But at home, we speak in our native language, Farsi. Speak English. What did you say? I said, we drink tea, not juice. So that's my mum scolding me for not adhering to the strict hospitality rules of being an Avron. But I can tell she's nervous. All I've said to her is that for the first time ever, 
I want to know what it took for us as refugees fleeing war to get to the UK. We settle on the sofa in my living room and Patuni, that's my mum's name, she wouldn't really look at me as she started to talk. But then the words just fell out of her. The thing my mum wanted to say first was the thing that's always just below the surface for so many refugees. People think they, they are so, it's so easy for people who haven't seen war in their lands and their homes just to talk about it, yeah? Just refugees, yeah, they are coming, they are... What? What life do I have here? I was... I had my home. I had my family. I had my work, my status, my, my life, my pride. I lost it. I'm nothing here. Do you know that? Just I survive and I live because of you guys, because of to, to help you, to support you, to be there for you. Yeah, you are just a child, a baby. Yeah. It was war. This was in the late 80s when Afghanistan was embroiled in a brutal, multifaceted war between factions. The Soviet unions were supporting government of Afghanistan and the Mujahideen were attacking them and they were attacking Kabul and other cities. Everyone had to pick a side and pledge allegiance to survive. It was the government, the communists, the Islamists or whatever group, depending on who was in charge of your block that day. Every day there were hundreds and thousands of missiles and we call it rockets and bombs were firing to us. Tens of thousands of people were fleeing, being disappeared or killed. And uh, as you see right now, as a journalist around the world, and you have been in some war zones yourself, mm. that we were running from one door to another door, from one place to another. Don't. It is very hard to talk about it, Nilofar. I can't do it. The experience of war doesn't convert to neat lines on a map or even into words. Chaos. That's it. This is what my family lived through. Chaos so horrible that we had to leave. This is the first thing that I wish people really understood. Chapter one of Nelifa's Guide to Refugees. It's so basic that when we hear it, we just shrug it off. And I'm afraid it's not getting through to people. Refugees are not immigrants. Refugees are not voluntarily leaving their homes. Why would we? We don't just leave everything we know or owned. We leave ourselves behind too. Pushed to the edge with my dad conscripted into the army, my mum made the extremely difficult decision to leave. And like 84% of refugees, we landed not in Europe, not in North America, but in a neighbouring country. We landed in Pakistan. When I went to Pakistan, we went to Pakistan, 
And I was alone with no home, no money, no food. There was no money to give the, uh, pay the rent. My mum tells me that we stayed in Pakistan for five years. And I remember little bits of that time, like images of myself in our home wearing a polka dot white dress. But after years of discrimination and difficulty, my mum knew we couldn't build a life for ourselves. I wasn't even allowed to go to school. She says that once again, we sold everything and paid some smugglers to get us to Germany. This time, we only got as far as Saudi Arabia, where we were stopped by the police. And policemen came to us and they took your dad and they took our men yeah. from us. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, I don't know the, the law and rules in, in Saudi, but we were told there is, uh, you know, uh, uh, death penalty. Death penalty. You indicating yes. chopping your head off. And we were shouting, you were shouting, four children, two women. We're shouting the whole, whole airport was full of our shouts and cries. And then the police came, quite, 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 and they brought your dads. And they told us in, in three uh, days, you need to leave, um, leave Sudis, Saudi Arabia. My mom tells me we were stuck and we had no choice but to go back to Afghanistan. But when we got there, the violence was still everywhere and getting worse. And one day, when my family was travelling to a village in the north, back then still one of the very few relatively safe places left in the entire country, mum says the bus driver suddenly stopped. We were trapped in a big road war. What, um, you mean a shootout? A like... shootout between two Mujahideen group. We got caught in a shootout? Yes. And I blocked your eyes because there was bodies without heads on the street. There was hands without body. There was turbans without, with the head, but no body. It was horrible finish. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in my life. This is the hardest interview I have ever done. Because you get emotion, you too. Yeah. When I get emotion, you get emotion. Well, That's because, not easy for you too. And you maybe remember some of little yeah, things. Yeah, I remember. I remember sounds. I remember. Yeah. I remember sounds more than I remember anything else. I, when I I remember the sound of the rockets. Yeah. I remember the feeling of shaking earth. Yeah. I remember you always holding me very tight. Over my under, mouth. Under your uh, burqa. Under your burqa. I sometimes had to put my hand in your mouth because of the bombs. Yeah, I because remember that. I remember that. I remember. What? Talking about this with my mum, I vividly recall the memory that my child brain must have worked really hard to suppress all these years. For the first time since I can remember... I felt the feeling of helplessness, of my fear being magnified a thousandfold because of the look of total dread on her face. It was overwhelming for both of us. After the shootout, my mum said she knew the war was never going to end. So she made the decision to seek asylum in Europe to start our new, new life. So again, she went to the smugglers. We paid a Pakistani smuggler 
to take us to Germany. And uh, we end up here because the person said, this plane is going here and you need to get out of it. Stop, stop, you're going too quickly. So the smugglers were supposed to take us from Dubai to Germany, mm. but instead, and you didn't know this, they yeah. decided to take us from Dubai to London. Yeah, they lied to us actually. They lied to us. They just took the money. So we came here by accident. By accident. We came to England, my home, mm. my, 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 I love this country yeah. very much. We came here by accident. By accident. I didn't know this. <laughs> it happens. Why you should know everything? Because it's my story, Mum. Listen, so much of my identity from my taste in music to what I studied at university was basically decided by the fact that I am British. Yet I'm British by total accident. I wasn't supposed to end up here. It is really, really hard to process this. And at the same time, I'm reminded of so many of the stories I've heard in Greece, Lebanon, El Salvador, stories from other refugees. When you leave a war zone, you can't have a plan. You're running for your life. So this is the second thing I desperately wish people understood. Chapter two of Nell's Guide to Understanding Refugees. If you're like most of us, the people smuggling you out don't tell you anything. You are at their mercy of every stage of the process and that could mean you don't have food or water, you don't know where you're going to be in the next day or two, you might be in one location for a month, two months and then you're making huge, huge strides in your journey. You think you're going to Germany and then you land in Heathrow and even though you never intended it, your children grow up British. 25 years ago, when my family arrived, we were welcomed by our community. At least that's my family's experience. We were supported in every ways, and I never faced any problem emotionally or, or socially. And uh, my relationship with my neighbours was so good and they loved you. All I remember is that you would send me to every bloody neighbor's house with a plate of food so they can eat Afghan food. And every school fete, I would have to take a giant bowl of... Uh, Bologna, mantu. Bologna, kobeli, mantu, mantu, all yes. of these like dishes. Because at that time... Because you were trying to play politics. That's what you were trying no, to do. No, 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 you no. were trying to make them love Afghanis. That's what you were trying to of do. Of course, I want to know who we are because they didn't know. The way people treated us when we got to the UK allowed us to thrive, to develop love for our communities and neighbourhoods and become productive members of society. But that was 25 years ago. Today, conditions are different. We need to protect our borders by working hand in glove Britain with our is neighbors. under attack. The world is under attack. They need to cap immigration. They need to stop appeasing Islam. No more mosques. Don't allow it. I, see it I know from my work and from speaking to those that have arrived much more recently that things have changed for the worse. I wanted to speak to someone who became a refugee more recently and was actually able to talk about what it's like now. Someone like my friend, Gulwali Pasarli. 
I left Afghanistan in 2006. Gulwali fled Afghanistan 12 years after my family arrived in Britain. It was not a, a nice time that I remember that I kind of reflect on, um, a feeling of kind of leaving and not knowing what's going to happen. So the, 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 the idea, the curiosity on one hand, but then feeling sense of sadness and, and disappointment with what was happening in that we had to... How old were you? I was 12. Gulwali's journey took a year. And over the course of that year, the 12-year-old farm boy Gulwali was smuggled on trains and boats, spent time in hospitals and prisons, and spent more nights cold and hungry than warm and fed. On one leg of the journey, he had to take a train from Istanbul to Bulgaria. His travel companions warned him not to go on his own. But the smuggler insisted and he said there was a small com- space for you because I was so little. And um, we were on the train for about 10 hours or so. I was in a very small, dark space. And then it, when when train was actually either moving or stopped, but when it actually was moving, uh, they brought me down and asked me to jump. Um, I was like, this is not funny. Look, I'm not, I'm not jumping, but, you know, um, there was no point arguing with the guy. The smuggler actually pushed Gulwali off the moving train. I mean, I managed to balance myself uh, mm. on the ground with some grass, but people were injured. Gulwali and the other refugees in his group landed in a hospital for a few hours before being taken to a Bulgarian prison. Uh, they put us in a very small cells of prisons uh, uh, there. We were there for a week or so, gave us not much food, and it was very cold conditions and then deported us all the way back to Turkey in the middle of December of 2006 in the snow. I was hoping in my head that Bulgaria was a European country. Well, they will yeah. treat us with some sort of dignity and, and human rights would be respected and so on. But actually, there was nothing European. There was nothing humane about the state or the authorities there. And so we lost the sense of um, sense of hum- humanness or humanity. We lost the sense of humanity. Indeed. And then, you know, I felt like they were the shepherds and we were the sheep just following, literally. Uh, and so it was a very dehumanizing experience. When Gulwali finally arrived in the UK, he had to go through gruelling interviews at the UK Home Office before he could be granted asylum status. And the process was terrible. Even more so when I go to the UK, it was even more dehumanising the way the authority treated me and the way uh, the UK Home Office... That, that, and, uh, that can't have been worse than smugglers. The, the, the it Home was, Office? indeed, yeah, because the smugglers were at least not challenging my, the essence of my life, my identity and, and my, who I was. They accused him of lying about everything, his age, where he was coming from, whether he was a refugee at all. It was a lot for a 13-year-old who had gone through what he had. And the home office literally said, look, you know, basically, they treated me as a liar, as a suspect, as a criminal. In a sense, the smugglers and the traffickers, as bad as they were, they didn't treat me as a criminal. They did not, yes, they treated me as a commodity, but I had I had value, which was money, and even though I don't recall smugglers calling me by my name, but they never really um, put me in, in the situation that the Home Office and Social Service did, even though they were trying to protect and help me, but at the same time making me feel guilty, making me feel it was my fault I was here somewhat. I was unwelcomed and unwanted, and uh, the best way I could describe it is that the mm. system we have is you are guilty, and you had to prove yourself innocent, and how do you do that? This is vastly different to the way the immigration officers treated me and my family at Heathrow Airport when we arrived. Me and my sister got a packet of crisps and a juice box, and my mum a cup of tea and an interpreter. She was able to call her sister to tell her she was safely in the UK. I remember we were put in a shelter almost right away. 
And this gets to the third thing I wish people would understand. Refugees aren't there for a handout. It's not how it works. And to be treated with contempt, fear, loathing even. To be so stripped of your identity and like Gulwali, made to fight tooth and nail for recognition and the right to make a life for themselves tells me more about who the governments in these countries are than people like Gulwali. Gulwali went on to do everything right. He's carried the Olympic torch. He's won countless awards and is a fixture in the UK Parliament and the European Union advising policymakers and politicians on immigrant and refugee issues. Extraordinary accomplishments, an exemplary member of civic society. I'll be honest with you, Gawali, you make you make the rest of us look bad. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you you you've gone above and beyond. You you are a you are an example amongst examples of what it's Oops. like to be a good refugee. But a good human being, a good citizen. I recognize there are this feeling amongst refugees that you had to somehow um there's a highest you the the society holds you to a higher standards, and that's not fair because I, I see a lot of people tell me when I do my talks. They say, Gulwali, you don't owe anything to anybody. Don't be, why you are grateful? Why Why you feel a sense of gratitude? Which is great. You know, after going through everything that I went through, I've done what I've done because I worked hard, but I feel like there has been people who supported me and, and believed in me and encouraged me and, and motivated me to, to do so and to do well. But I, I react to this idea of, 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 of the expectation on us as refugees differently, okay? I'm now a British citizen, so I can sort of like fade into the background. I can choose when to be a refugee and when not. It's, it's, it's for me, this expectation of, of having to be the perfect person. You have to be more than the general population, than a normal citizen. You have to be harder working, a better person. And, and for me, that, I find that really troubling. And I resent it. You're grateful. No, I I'm agree resentful. with you. I, I, think it's, I think it's lunacy. Sure. After everything you've been through and people like you have been through, and people like me have been through, what, <laughs> you know, how dare they, is my reaction. And your reaction is, let's form a committee and start talking about this. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's have deal. a dialogue. Let's have a dialogue. I can't and, deal. <laughs> but then, to be honest, it's not like, the feeling is like, it's not fair to have those expectations on us and on refugees because, again, as I said, we are held to higher standards. We had to prove and we had to show that we deserve to be here and we, you know, we are good people, we are good refugees. I don't like those narratives, but at the same time, we've got to, be, we've got to show that we are, we are good human beings and we need to be good examples. And I think the reason I have been able to, to achieve what I have achieved and to have been successful to some extent is because I got the right help and support. Uh, from people, and there are a lot of a lot of other asylum seekers and refugees who doesn't get the help in the mentoring, in the friendship, in befriending, and so on. And it helps. It it definitely does. That's having that support and guidance um, gets you through difficult times. Gulwali has absolutely made something good out of a terrible situation. He reminds me of this saying I keep thinking about: stuck between a rock and a hard place. Refugees turn that place into home. We can't go back. We sometimes struggle to go forward or even stay where we bloody well are. This is something we experience physically. So many of us, we can't go back to our homeland. But it's also something we experience emotionally. We carry the burden of horrific experiences and traumatic memories. But they are our stories. That's why I wanted my mum to tell me all the details she'd never shared before. 
I wanted to know why she kept them from me for so long. So I asked her. You don't need to know. Why? Why? <laughs> because you, you, may, you, you get upset, you get sad. Why? It's my story. Why should I hide from being a refugee? I'm proud to be a refugee. I I I don't uh, say that. Just No, I'm telling you, you like you get upset. You get, you of get course upset. I get upset because we have been through horrific trauma. Mum, get my bish now. Of course it's hard to hear, but mm. I have waited 31 years to hear the story now. So, no, it's not the same. You telling me little bits is not the same as hearing this. This is different. And you know it's different. That's why you're so nervous. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing you can say to me that would make me angry or sad. I'm... For me, what you and dad have done, I can never pay this back. There's no amount of love or money in the universe that I can pay you back for what you did for me. What you had Man, to for do. Me, uh, do you know that? Uh, I don't think about my past or present or future now. Because I know, alhamdulillah, you're safe, you're educated, you can have a job, you can have a food, you can have a life. The thing that I'm thinking right now is other people, other refugees. You, you tell me, you asking me the question that hundred thousand people have the same story that you ask me to tell you from past. They are in the present. They have these stories in the present. They, are, they don't have their dads. Their dads are in, in jail. Children like you, one year, two years, four years. Women like me is struggling to protect and feed their children to, to safety, to take them to safety. Hundreds of women like me in the boats. Why it happens, Nilufar? The first thing that I'm asking you and the media and the politicians, why people have to leave their countries? Why? The tumult of being a refugee, the way we're received in the countries we seek asylum in, this will continue to shape and change. Emotions, government policies, the way people react to us will also change over time. Things that Gulwali and so many refugee families like mine have experienced shock and horrify me. But they are the norm these days. So let's make this better. The first step is understanding what refugees are up against because we can't find solutions until we understand the problem. This season, I'm going to talk to some of the people who are working to make things better. The activists working to improve conditions for refugees. The policymakers devoted to finding solutions in their communities. And we're also going to be tackling other big issues facing our world to understand the problems so we can start talking about the solutions. We want to hear from you. Tweet us at Doha Debates. Course Correction is written and hosted by me, Nalifa Hidayat. The show is produced by Doha Debates and Transmitter Media. Doha Debates is a production of Qatar Foundation. 
Special thanks to our team at Doha Debates, Jayfoot Weeks, Amjad Atala, and Jega Mehta. This episode was mixed by Ben Shano. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. It helps other people find us. Join us for the next episode of Course Correction wherever you get your podcasts.